morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, commentators call it uh, one of the most bitter, contentious, and fiercely partisan presidential elections in United States history. And while I uh, could certainly be talking about the election we just had, uh, I am not talking about the election of 2016. Uh, what I'm talking about is the election of 1800. See, for just a moment, I want to set the scene for you. See, it's 24 years since we declared our independence, 11 years since we ratified the Constitution, and if you are heading to the polls this year, uh, the, f the question you face is pretty simple. Which founding father is your favorite? Is it John Adams, the Federalist incumbent? Or is it uh, Thomas Jefferson, the Democratic Republican challenger? And you, you'd better choose carefully uh, because commentators will also say that this election is one of our nation's most important. And so uh, let's meet the candidates. First, you've got John Adams. He is a northern man, trained as a lawyer, skilled as a diplomat. Well, he's known for uh, brokering the Treaty of Paris in 1783, the treaty that ultimately brings to a close the Revolutionary War. Uh, he is also known for serving two terms as Washington's vice president, being the second person uh, to hold our nation's highest office. And so people call him upstanding, distinguished, a learned man with a clever wife. Uh, but then you got Thomas Jefferson, and while he wasn't Washington's vice president, uh, he was his Secretary of State, and you may know him from such documents as the Declaration of Independence, or such positions as Ambassador to France, and he was a prolific writer, an eloquent speaker, and an unrivaled champion of liberty down to this very day. And so if you're still on the fence, uh, no one's going to blame you. Uh, but you've got to make a decision. And since these two men are never going to debate, you do the only thing you can think to do, you open up a newspaper. Men of Virginia, it reads, pause and ponder. John Adams has a hideous hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman, which I think is what you would call 18th century fake news. <laughs> uh, but you see, it's not this newspaper ad uh, that really surprises you. It's what happens next. John Adams' men sink down to Thomas Jefferson's level. Thomas Jefferson, you read a few days later, is a mean-spirited lowlife, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw, and the, the insults, they just pile up one after another. Not about you, uh, but if you are anything like me, it is political mudslinging like this uh, that leaves me wanting and yearning for something different. I mean, I'm tired of being told that there is something wrong with the other guy. I'm tired of being told that uh, there is something missing in my life. I'm tired of being told uh, that this candidate or that candidate is going to solve all the world's problems. And you know what I love about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson? Is that they belong to two parties that don't even exist anymore. And what I think that shows us is that this isn't a Republican issue. This isn't a Democrat issue. It's a human issue. 
Uh, because part of what it means to be human is that we are told day in, day out, uh, that we need to look after ourselves to take care of number one. That's why I'm uh, convinced that today's reading is just so important. Uh, because it's in a world like this that Jesus frees us to participate in something different. He frees us to participate in a world where, where getting ahead doesn't need to mean looking out for number one. Because being great, making a difference, having power, doesn't mean doing this. It means being a servant. Now you see, it brings us to this reading from Mark chapter 10. And what you need to know about today's reading is that it takes place, it follows something rather important. You see, Jesus has just made his third and final passion prediction. The Son of Man, he said, three times now, is going to be handed over, delivered to his enemies, and put to death. And then... And only then, he is going to rise again. And if you're familiar with the kind of way that these conversations go, then you already know that three times the disciples just don't get it. I mean, the first time it happens, uh, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and it's known for being a very powerful confession. But when Jesus goes on to describe what this really means, that his strength will be shown through weakness... Peter's just not able to listen. And you know, uh, that's because he believes that being great, being the Messiah, doesn't mean being a servant. You know, the second time, uh, it's almost the exact same story. Jesus explains what it means to be the Messiah, that he's going to die and rise again. But instead of listening to what he's got to say, his disciples following this get into an argument about which one of them's the greatest. And so by the third and final time this happens, the surprising thing isn't what Jesus has to say. I mean, we know what it means to be the Messiah. Instead, the surprising thing is that, that this Messiah, Jesus, just won't give up. We're going to Jerusalem, he says a little bit more bluntly, and then follows that script that's probably familiar to you. The Son of Man is going to die and rise again, and I think that's why at the beginning of today's reading... It actually makes James and John just a little anxious because they're worried. I mean, what if he's telling the truth? What if time is really running out? What if this is the only chance we've got? And so they, they pull Jesus aside. Teacher, they say, we need to ask you for a favor. You know, maybe you can uh, picture the skeptical look that must cross Jesus' face. Oh yeah, he says, sort of like a parent responding to a child or a teacher saying something to a student. What kind of favor do you need from me? Well, they say, we, uh, we want to sit at your side, your right and your left, in these places of glory when eventually you come again. And, and you know, I'm a little surprised that Jesus doesn't just smack them upside the head. I mean, you've got to be kidding me, right? I mean, haven't you been listening? Whoever wants to be my disciple needs to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And now I've got to imagine he's thinking, you know, I'm going to Jerusalem to die for you. And all you can think about is getting ahead? You know, the more I think about it, the more I realize that 
that what they do is so incredibly human. Because that's the kind of world we live in. I mean, isn't it? How many times in your life has someone said to you that you are the only person who can look out for number one? Or how many times in your life has someone said to you that, that if you don't get it, someone else will? Or how many times in your life has someone said that, that successful people are the kind of people that take life by the horns and just make things happen? See, that's why in a, a certain sense, I've almost got to applaud their ambition. Because you see, James and John, they don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they don't, they don't know that Jesus really is going to go to Jerusalem. They don't know that, that Jesus really is going to be handed over. They don't know that Jesus really is going to die on a cross and then three days later free them from living in a world like this. And that's because Jesus doesn't die a victim. Three days later, he rises a servant. And the message he has, the promise he makes, is that so will you. Because in Christ, your future isn't the death of a victim. Your future is the life of a servant. Now, it was uh, the third time in just under a month that the city's sanitation workers had invited uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to speak with them. And uh, truth be told, he had plenty of reasons not to go that day. You see, uh, the city was full of unrest, about ready to explode. And, and he was feeling uh, a little under the weather, battling uh, an illness that day. But on April 6, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, takes the stage just south of downtown Memphis. On this particular night, uh, the 39-year-old leader of the civil rights movement stands before a crowd without any notes in his hand, and he speaks to them directly from the heart. Something, he says, is happening in our world. And for the next 45 minutes, uh, he surveys a number of significant moments in world history, and then he shows what's going on in the civil rights movement. You know, listening to his speech uh, a little over 50 years later, it's almost like he knows what's going to happen. It's almost like he knows that less than 24 hours later, he's going to be assassinated. And so for just a moment as we come to a close, I want you to watch uh, the final minute of the speech that he makes. And then I want you to consider how God, in Christ, frees him to live the life of a servant. Go ahead and watch this. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over 
And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Twenty-four hours later, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is going to be assassinated. And yet, as you watch him speak, uh, there's something about him. I'm not worried, he says, not, not fearing any man, and it's because he is free. Free to live the life of a servant, free to participate in a world that looks radically different. And that's the same kind of world that Jesus invites us to live in. Because the promise he makes really is the promise that says your future in Christ is never the death of a victim. It's the life of a servant. And that's what eventually goes on to change everything uh, for disciples like James and John following the uh, resurrection. It's the thing that eventually goes on to change everything for uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and all the Christians who've gone before it. And it's the thing that changes everything in our lives. Because in Christ, we are free. And being great, having power, making a difference, means following him and living the life of a servant. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.